0: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG Bad Boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Rain for a night,
1: all.
2: How's it going? It's going all right, Bobo. How are you doing today? Not bad, not bad. I got a special guest today.
0: Who do you have for us?
2: Well, he's one of my heroes growing up and one of the guys that got weak in the knee when I finally met him about 15, 20 years ago. I couldn't believe I was meeting him in the flesh. And um, since we're talking about vocalizations and possible language, I thought, who's the, you know, the master of
0: all that is Ron Moorhead, and he agreed to come on today. day. Fantastic. Ron has been a good friend of both of ours for quite a long time now, I guess. I mean, you've known him longer than me. So it is a pleasure to welcome Ron Moorhead to Bigfoot and Beyond. Hey, Ron, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, We've been doing a lot of vocalizations here the last few weeks on Bigfoot and Beyond. And uh, of course, you would be the obvious choice for that because you have some of uh, the best and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think earliest sasquatch vocalizations um taken period right and are you aware of any that have come before yours not of the same uh uh, quality i guess you would say
1: these were recorded in 1970s early 1970s 72 to 74 and uh, we've the biggest thing about these is we've had them analyzed by a professor at the university of wyoming and and, and a cryptolinguist retired from the navy as a cryptolinguist so they have the credibility behind them so that's kind of given a little little shove too but we did encounter these things up there, and we did. We were able to record them. And I think my, my hat's off to Al Barry, actually. He, he recorded a lot of stuff. He was up there trying to investigate a hoax, thought he was a hoax anyway, until he got taken in with it and realized that no one could really be doing this. So, so anyway, yeah, we got the Sierra sounds, and uh, we got them out there, so a lot of people have heard them.
0: Yeah, they've really stood out against the background noise, so to speak, because of the the clarity, the volume, um, and the extensive variety of vocalizations that have been recorded. Everything from howls and whistles to chirps and knocks. Um, And really back in the early 70s, most people weren't aware that these things even knocked. But sure enough, you got recordings of that.
1: Yeah, we do. I recorded one night. That's actually the night I got to see one, which was a long time coming. But uh, yeah, they do knock on trees, uh, they they whoop, they do all those things. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us knew about any of that. Well, we didn't, I didn't anyway, in the 70s. We weren't up there looking for Bigfoot, that's for sure. We was up there. It was a hunting camp, eight miles in the wilderness, 8,400 feet elevation, really imposing access to get to it. Yeah.
2: That is the audio equivalent of the patterson Gillen film. I mean, the Sierra Sounds, as your recordings are known, if you got if you got something really good, you say it's like the Sierra
1: sounds. That's true. Uh, people seem to want to say they're all going to talk, or they all have that ability. But I'm not sure they all do. Uh, I think there's a dilution factor going on with possibly over eons. Maybe some of crossbred, which means they would have to have 23 chromosomes to inbreed with the human uh, indigenous people. And uh, I think a lot of them have changed a little bit. Some of them may be able to talk, because most of all the reports you get seem to be of howls and screams, and uh, you don't hear too many people reporting vocalizations like we have. However, I have had over the years, a lot of them, saying they heard just what they call the samurai cry. And your good friend Matt Moneymaker actually coined that, that phrase, by the way, uh, the samurai silence. He says, sounds like a samurai crying out there. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it's been a long ride, and it's been fun. I appreciate uh, being on these
0: programs like this. So how many years were you going to this hunting camp before you had any inclination or indication that, uh, Sasquatches were up there with you? Well, actually I hadn't been the, the Warren brothers. Uh, they'd been going up there since
1: 1958 and there was a, their hunting camp, their kind of a private domain, their sanctuary, they call it. And, uh, just a lot of deer, new people. And, uh, I didn't start going up until I was invited in with one of the hunters that wouldn't go back after he heard those, and that was in 1971. So that's when I got started in the group. It was 1971. I saw my first track, and and I started going back as often as I could, and we all started taking tape recorders and uh, started recording their vocalizations. And that, those very clear ones you hear uh, were from Al He got lucky. I say lucky. He he put his microphone up about, remoted it up, up beside, behind our shelter about 40 feet, and, uh, one of them had to be really close to get those clear sounds. And uh, those are the ones that uh, Dr. Curlin uh, actually uh, analyzed a year-long study at the University of Wyoming to show that they weren't manipulated, they weren't speeded up, slowed down. They were outside the human range. Um, I actually just interviewed him about a month ago uh, to get him on something. And he says it represented a uh, creature uh, seven and a half foot tall. And uh, of course, in his report, he says seven and a half to eight, eight foot four the vocalizations compared to a human track. And uh, when you find out they're outside the human range, inside the human range, below and above, it kind of leads you to wonder, well, what can do that? According to Dr. Lieberman, and that was 1968, he said only humans have their vocal track or language. And these things, according to cryptolinguists that study them now, Scott Nelson, have language by the human definition of language. And that's, that's quite important, I think, for people to realize that if only humans have this, then maybe they could be a hybrid type of a human offshoot or something. So that's where I kind of go with it. And uh, I know a lot of people think they're just an apron around the woods, and maybe some of them are just that. I'm not saying they're not. I think there are different types of these things, and that's, that's where I come from. That's where I kind of drift from the pack, because all tracks are, are, are compared to the Patterson tracks, which we all believe in, or most of us do anyway. And our tracks seem to be bigger, splayed, and just, we had these tracks over the years up there, so it's not like just one set of tracks like Patterson was, but we don't disclaim the Patterson film, but it seems like because the tracks don't look like the Patterson tracks, you know, there there are five-toed splayed tracks, huge, and we found them in the snow, we found them elsewhere up there around our camp, and anyway, uh, uh, unfortunately, people want to compare everything to one type, so. I encourage people not to compare what they heard to the Sierra sounds because it may not be the same.
0: Now, as far as the tracks go, um, was it only uh, did you only find tracks from one individual or were there several different individuals' tracks encountered there over the years?
1: There were several over the years, yes. yes. And different sizes or different
0: shapes, or how did you determine all
1: that? The, all the same shape. That's what I'm trying to get to here. They, they all have the same shapes, blade, five-toed. But they were different size. One time we found a little 9-inch track inside a, um, an 18, not inside, but, but along with an 18-inch track in the snow. And it's, it's hard to fake that when you're, <laughs> I mean, no, it wasn't fake. So we found different size tracks up there over the years. And uh, mainly you'd find the average track around our camp was probably 18 inches, maybe, maybe 19, so right in there.
0: So how many individuals do you think were up there?
1: Well, at one time, we think there was two different families, I believe, because I think they do run in families. Because we heard we've got recordings of, of a small one, and it sounds like a small voice anyway, and then a big one coming down on, like, don't get too aggressive here, kid, <laughs> something like that. Like, I think the young ones are getting more bold. I think that's was what was happening up there. Maybe the young ones is getting too bold. But uh, I got that recorded in 1974, and we'd heard them before, but we'd never got them recorded. Um, there were one time, the first year, we found four different size tracks uh, several different times in uh, 70, 72, 71, right along in that area. And then uh, uh, 74, we found uh, uh, different, same track, but uh, different sounds. The sounds were were more interactive. They were trying to communicate It sound like to us. And that's what I have on my second CD. The first year, they sound very aggressive, and most of you have heard those. are very gorilla type sounding. I've asked, I asked for a long time, could they be made by different types of these things or whatever? What's going on here? with the same creature? What's going on? And Cryptolinguist, he says, no, they were made by the same vocal mechanism that 72 sounds were made that Alberry recorded. So the 74 sounds that I recorded uh, one night when just me and my friend were up there, uh, they were made by the same creatures that we were trying to interact with. They were whooping. They were pounding on trees. They were rock-clacking. And then they started actually yelling out at me. That's when I started yelling back and <laughs> trying to mimic them. I guess you call it. And uh, I think they thought that was a little bit, a little bit humorous. Uh, at least that's the reaction that I seem to have interpreted. Uh, of course, we weren't thinking of them like like I do now. And uh, uh, it's it's a bit of it's quite an adventure. Those are interesting times and very very thrilling evenings. I'll tell you that.
0: Now can you speak to the remoteness of this location cuz you know if if these are not sasquatch vocalizations and just let me be clear I think they are but the the skeptics always have to point to something else and these are certainly it, the only other option really is human but how how far out I mean I know this is a secret area no one really knows where this is unless you personally have brought them there but can you speak to the remoteness of this of this area so people understand that it's almost certainly positively, not somebody hoaxing you. Well, yeah, it's eight miles
1: uh, trekking from the closest place you can drive to. And you have to walk in uh, through some very imposing areas. And uh, it's, uh, you go up to about 10,000 feet and you drop back down through canyons. Descent. The camp is 8,400 feet in elevation, eight miles in the wilderness. So Al you know, how could anybody? He, he was up there really, I didn't know at the time, like I say, trying to find the hoax and there wasn't one. And we knew that, but then all of a sudden you got to have some proof. And that's when he, he got on his feet and fostered the studies at, uh, at the University of Wyoming that showed these were actually non-manipulated sounds that he recorded. They, he got the original recordings to uh, Professor Curlin up there, and uh, they were shown to be uh, just what we thought they were. They were chatter, like like you hear the uh, Osman story uh, that uh, John Green and, uh, took from him in 1950, early 1950s, I think it was. But Osman, when he was kidnapped into the uh, Canada area there up at Toba Inlet, he said he was uh, held for six days and he heard them chattering amongst themselves. So they were talking back and forth. Well, that's, that's, that's not what all animals do. They have certain sounds they communicate with, but they don't talk like, like we have. These are the first only sounds that I know of that's been studied as much as they've been studied, um, showing their credibility. And for someone to say that uh, anybody can do that or even a human can do it, that's the closest thing you could say, but they can't get to the, to the, to the amplitude, or not amplitude, but to the uh, frequencies that these things can go to. You know, we can all hear our regular frequency and our sounds, but when you get into ultrasound or infrasound, we don't hear it, but it's there. So I, I kind of talk to people like that because uh, there's also all these reports, these things disappearing, which we won't get into, but you got to wonder if they're not just going out of our light frequency, which we all see in a certain frequencies. And uh, as, as you two both know, I, I've been into quantum physics now since, uh, since years and years ago, and I've learned that things or everything is a frequency and energy, and uh, somehow these things have been elusive to so many people, and they stay elusive, and uh, you're right, uh, Cliff, a lot of people don't want to believe they even exist, but there's just too many reports coming out and too many people seeing them for that to stay that way. I've interviewed sheriffs. I had a local sheriff come to me. i and a deputy, and they they followed one in the snow. I've had highway patrolmen. I've talked to them. I've talked to wildlife biologists. I've, I've I've talked to a lot of credible people that have got some stories to tell, but they're afraid to come out of the woodwork and talk about them because they're afraid of the ridicule that they'll get. I think that's becoming less and less now as more and more people are reporting them.
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos
2: of our music.
1: Sonidos of our voices.
2: Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso and Satelites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. Since you brought up Albert Ostman, because he said, I remember in the book, he said, they made it sound like suka suka. Did you guys pick that up ever?
1: Uh, not that word, but I've heard that mentioned to me before. I haven't really tried to find that, that Suka Suka word up there. It could be hidden in, we've got hours of this stuff and Scott's got 90 minutes of it, I think. And Dr. Curling just got, I forgot how much Albert gave him, but, um, I've never listened for that word in our recordings. Uh, I don't know that they would all have the same type of language, to be honest with you. I just know what we encountered in the Sierras and, uh. Other people say they've encountered something very similar to it, but how do you know what any of them are saying? Because even a cryptolinguist can't tell you what they're saying. You can only say he transcribed an actual language by the human definition of language, which means a sapient group of words that come out in a cognizant sentence like we're talking right now. Uh, So who knows? uh, Until one comes out and points at a tree and say, ooga, ooga, that's a tree. You don't know if that's a tree.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So how much raw footage in minutes or
1: hours do you have you know, that's hard to say. I've really never measured it, because um, how much do I have, and how much does everybody else have, because we were all recording these things. You know, total, I don't know. Um, I have not got access to the other guys' recordings yet. I've, I've got access to Al Berry's recordings, all those, and what one's Bill McDowell had. He was my, my packing buddy up there who we packed horses and mules with. And uh, I've got copies of all his, And uh, but Warren Johnson and Lewis Johnson and Larry Johnson and these, these guys were also recording, and uh, they were recording at times when maybe I wasn't even there. So I don't know how many hours we have total. I don't even know how many hours I have. Personally, my all my tapes, just all of them, were burned up in a house fire in 76. And uh, that's unfortunate because I had some quality recordings for the best stereo you could buy, the best microphones you could get to stick outside the shelter walls. And I could hear these things walk around out there with my head- headset on. So, I don't know how much time we have of them. Uh, what's been released is, is what we thought was the cream of it. Uh, so, that's all i got to say about that, I guess. Is it all digitized? <laughs> yes, I have. I've got them all. I've copied all owls on onto uh, a digital format. I've got uh, all bills on a little disk. And so, I've got all this stuff saved. And I, uh, I wish I had access to uh, Warren Johnson, but he passed away and Gave him over to one of his sons, and I'm not acquainted with him
0: really very much at all. But he's got a lot of good recordings, I think. Oh, that's unfortunate because so many, so many people, um, as you know, it's, it's terrible that uh, the first generation of Bigfooters, people who were active in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, are slowly leaving us. And oftentimes their collections um, get passed down to their heirs. Who don't know what to do with them or don't realize that there's intellectual value, not not, not necessarily monetary value, but intellectual value in them. And a lot of times these collections end up in the trash can. It's it's just it's it's criminal almost. I mean, it's not. It's just naivete. But still, it's a shame to say the least.
1: Yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. I think you're right. I'm getting older. Of course, everybody's getting older. The alternative to not getting older isn't good sometimes. But.
0: No, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like all Alberry's records, he kept records of everything. It's all in his son Greg's uh, storage someplace. Either that or Dia's widow's storage. I've never asked him for that because I didn't want to make him think I was trying to capitalize on something that their dad had done. Uh, I wish I did have him, all his records, all his notes and all his messages to all these different people trying to get attention to this subject. I'll call him. <laughs> well, I, I think I'd have more success. I, I, him and I get along fine, but it's just he's very busy. He works for a um, he works as a set engineer for filming companies uh, down in Southern California. He's all over the world doing uh, film sets, and uh, so he's uh, quite a busy young man. He's married too, so he does come home. He wants to spend it with his family, and I asked him one time to see if he could go find Albury's old tape recorder because I uh, wanted for a, a museum, and he just didn't have time to go look for it <laughs> he might have been in china at the time too or coming back from there or something so uh i'll i'll catch him one of these days i've, I've been down there he's a he's a good young man and very smart
0: so ron uh, when you were up there and you started hearing these sounds did you already realize those are sasquatches you know because bigfoot was on the radar at that point or did it take you a while to kind of be convinced of that Well,
1: you know, it didn't take me a while to convince that there was something that I'd never heard before. And, uh, I didn't know much about the Patterson film at the time. I just knew it was out there, but of course the word around in the humble standard, I think times up there in Eureka, Humboldt County was, it was just a large Indian that got on the loose, a big tall guy or something. You know how the stories go, they're all over the place, but I didn't, we weren't looking for Bigfoot up there. Uh. When I first heard about it from the guys, when one guy came out and he wouldn't go back without some, somebody going with him, that's how I got involved, uh, he was just frightened. a uh, very religious person. He didn't know where that fell into his his paradigm of where you know, giants are. They're not supposed to be giants nowadays, right? These are giants. And they have a giant voice. Their footprints are giant. They have a large stride between them. And whatever it was up there just uh, scared the heck out of the guys to start with. And. So when I got up there, I knew that they hadn't been eaten. I knew that they hadn't been carried away in their sleeping bags. I knew there was a certain amount of safety. Of course, we all had high-powered guns with us, too. Uh, I did, and so did the other guys. They had rifles and, and handguns. Uh, so we, we always were armed up there, and I don't know if that had much to do with uh, these things. Because maybe they knew that we weren't going to shoot them. I don't know. We didn't shoot at them, and they didn't tear in the shelter at us. So we kind of felt like there was a bit of... Uh, Safety there. I did anyway when I went first went up there. But when I heard them for the first time, it was just very exciting. It was a little bit uh, concerning too because you still don't know what they are. We were Bigfoot was not on our radar. None of us until that started happening in seventy one.
0: So if you uh, around around nineteen seventy one when you started kind of slowly, I guess indoctrinating yourself into this whole thing. How long was it after that that until you finally saw one of these things around your camp? 1974 it so was a few more years, years. years tell, tell
1: us about that please well that was the night that i caught the uh caught the one in my eyes moving through the woods real fast and that was the night that i heard the samurai cry it was one behind me up there it was two down below a uh, small one small voice anyway, and a large voice we think it was a family of three a male a female and an adolescent and when i well, been, uh, we spent. had an hour worth of inter- interaction there going on. It was just really exciting, because they had never really interacted with us like that while we were outside the shelter. Usually wait till we got inside the shelter and closed the door up before they would start making their sounds, and you could never get out in time to see one. Uh, Al Barry, one time, he stuck his neck head up through a shelter hole and uh, was trying to get a glimpse of something while he was making those sounds, and he never could see anything because it was dark, but still, you could see some movement. It wasn't there was a lot of starlight up at 8,400 feet, even on night, so night. Uh, anyway, uh, it was 74 when I first saw one and first got a glimpse of one, I should say. I didn't see it face on, but it was moving very, very rapidly, very fast through the forest and going down to where the other two were. And he had made that samurai cry that you hear, and then he shot down through the woods. And uh, that was the night I saw one. And my daughter, Rhonda, saw them three times. And uh, Johnsons have gotten glimpses of them. Uh, one. I i guess lewis or larry one was looking through uh, the shelter walls which is deadfall leaning up against some cable and they saw one walking by about 15 20 feet away and uh they said it was a uh, huge eight to ten foot tall and they measured it from the skylight the next day how far it was up in the trees and so anyway uh, uh they've we've seen them they've been seen up there and uh I say my daughter saw a really good look at one about seventy feet away from our shelter, from our camp stove where we were sitting. She says it's a little over seven foot tall. I went over measured where it was the next morning because I didn't want to disturb the the ground. And uh, I stood there and put my hand up to where she said the head was. That's how we know about how big it was. And there's a picture of that in my uh, last book. I say a picture; it's a drawing, <laughs> a rendering that a lady did for her. <laughs> That was the thing. People say, why didn't you get a picture? I know that's question. It's got to come up.
0: You guys are going to ask me that. Go ahead and ask me. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that. No, no. I, I mean, I, see, the people who ask that are the people who aren't out there trying. <laughs> that's right. Anybody who asks that has not been Bigfooting for very long, in my opinion, um, just because it's, a, I mean, as an example, I tell people quite often in my museum down here that, you know, I, when I'm out in the woods, Bigfooting, driving from location to location, I keep a video camera on the console. Next to me in the car, and I try to take video of anything I see—owls, deer, bear, whatever—and for 26 years, I have less than a dozen pieces of footage of anything, let alone a sasquatch. I've never seen—I mean, I've seen a sasquatch once, maybe, but uh, but it's so hard to film anything in the woods, let alone a sasquatch who does not want to cooperate. Apparently, well,
1: they don't, and we underestimated their intelligence. I'm going to call it intelligence level because. They just seem to outbox us every time. We'd set up camera traps thinking we're going to get a picture. Now this thing's going to come in. He's been coming in and getting food right here each time. So we'll put this camera trap up They Set it up about six foot high, a little black thread running across between trees or something. And they'd go around it. Or they'd bat the camera off. You know, they, they must thought, who knows what they're doing? They're watching you set this up. Do they really know what you're doing? Or they just don't want to, they just know it's not normal and knock it off, whatever. So I think we lost three different cameras up there at different times trying to, trying to get a picture it wasn't we didn't try we we knew we needed a picture but we they
0: they're pretty clever out there in the woods the the two reasons we don't have more stuff to show for this is number one people underestimate them and number two and probably more importantly people overestimate ourselves we seem to think we're at the top of the food chain sometimes. <laughs> we
1: kind of wonder about that, you know. And we do overestimate ourselves. We we have not reached our full potential for sure. And I think these things are able to, they're in the woods, they're in their environment, they, they're they the king of the woods. And uh, it just, yeah, we underestimated them grossly up there at the time. We had all that do-over again. We could have done it differently, but then we may not have had the same interaction that we had.
2: How did the depth of those Bigfoot tracks you guys saw and cast some of, how do they compare in depth to the the horses you guys rode? And Did you guys get a sense of the weight?
1: Uh, it's hard. A lot of it was decomposed granite. There is some sandy areas up there, but uh, uh, they were heavy. Because uh, we, we could make a track if you just stopped there, but these things go down. Uh, there was a trackway that I found one time, uh, and this was this is in my uh, – or second, I forgot where I got a picture of it. Scott Nelson was up there with me trying to get some more sounds. And we had this uh, this trackway that we found uh, after we left the camp. Actually, it was down. My daughter had seen one that morning. It's a long story. I get into it more in depth but in my book. But these tracks were so deep, and there they they had to be an inch and a half to two inches deep, the trackway. And Scott pound, he couldn't even make a dent in the ground. And it's definitely a bipedal trackway. And that's also the day my daughter saw one, the morning she saw one, and uh, we found the trackway. So what do you do with that? It's just, they're heavy. Uh, they're so dense. They must have such a muscle mass uh, to to weigh that much uh, and still be as agile as they are. is
0: amazing. How many times have you been to the site um, over the last, what is it now? God, it's 50 years. I haven't counted. I was up there, um, well, let's see,
1: in 2018, with David Pilates doing the filming, and uh, he actually got a really good documentary about 15 minutes long on that missing hunters, you know, the 411. I mean, it's a lot of people heard about that, but he talks about and shows us the air camp, and I'm in it. And uh, I talk first filming I've ever allowed to go up there because I didn't want the place exposed, but he, he's an honorable person, he he uh, he's never made me think he wasn't honorable, and he's he's uh he, going to keep the place quiet. I don't think he could find it. It'd be hard for anyone to find it anyway, unless you've been there a few times and just knew how to get there. Uh, but anyway, uh, that was in 2018. Nothing happened. California was on fire, a lot of smoke in the air. But he did do a good documentary, about 15 minutes long. I mean, that's when something anomalous happened, too, two years before in 2016 when I was up there. Uh, we saw something very strange and the right our camp. Uh, but we're not going to get into strangeness here, are we? <laughs> we? Bigfoot you know? and beyond. <laughs> oh, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> Bigfoot and beyond. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the
0: strange is welcome here. You know, absolutely. Oh, really? Well, if that's the case, we can keep going then.
2: <laughs> we don't poo-poo the woo.
0: <laughs> you don't poo-poo the woo? Well, you shouldn't because
1: let me read something here that Tesla said. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of his existence. I really like that statement. Oh. I quote him quite a bit because he's my, one of my heroes. Of course, do we all believe in UFOs here or is somebody not?
0: <laughs> oh, no. I, you know what? I don't know about you, Ron, but um, Bobo and I have both seen UFOs. Okay, good. Okay, we're on the same page with that. Uh, yeah, What they are is open to, oh, an open question, but we, there's something going
1: on. I've seen a lot of reports on on that now, and, and I get involved in that a little bit because if somebody's flying them. I mean, it has to be probably something with more advanced technology than we have because they can do things. I mean, we've all seen the favor a favor uh, Commander uh, video of Commander Favor's video, the Navy pilot that videoed one, and it does things that is out of our technology and how it does that. And uh, somebody's flying those. Somebody's responsible for them, and it's it's probably not anybody in our. In our circle of humans, but whatever they are, they're more advanced than we are, and so therefore, I believe aliens exist. I believe they've been here before. I've seen the remains of them down in Peru and Bolivia. I've been to those places like that, and it's hard to deny it when you see it with your own eyes. And when this stuff happens, uh, what are they doing here? Why are they here? What have they done in the past? You see all this stuff all over the world now. You guys have been all over the world. You've, you've seen some pretty strange things, I'm sure. And I don't mean just strange by a three-legged dog or something. I mean <laughs> strange. <laughs> uh, these uh, megalithic structures down in Peru and Bolivia, uh, humans can't do what they've done. Uh, they've they got these boulders over 100 tons that they've placed up on top of these mountains, and they're put together like a jigsaw puzzle. No mortar, no nothing, just placed there. And they're just sound as a—I mean, they've been there for thousands of years, and they're sound. So aliens exist. We all agree to that. Um, what they do here and what they've done here in the past is uh, my opinion, and this is just my opinion, so we put them in the woo camp if you want to, but I think they've uh, altered the DNA of primates, and then humans be being one of them, but uh, uh, gorillas probably being one, uh, orangutans, I, I think there's probably, uh, that could be what Bigfoot is all about, is, is a DNA manipulation for some reason. And maybe it's to acclimate their species into this climate. I don't know. It's three-dimensional reality that we, we live in. I don't know. But that's what I do. I study that stuff. And I look into it, and I don't foo-foo anybody anymore because there's so much going on. When You get into the laws of quantum physics, you realize, you know, Newtonian physics and the physics that we were raised and taught in the fifth grade on is everything is measurable, predictable. It's, it's material or physical. And that's just not true. I asked a question one time, uh, somebody, and I did this when I was a little boy, how far is it to the end of the universe? Who can answer that question? Is there an end to the universe? How could there be? How could you even comprehend that? Well, that means there's more out there that we need to know, and we don't comprehend those things in our three-dimensional reality. But there's, according to physics, uh, more dimensions. And if you believe that that's true, that Einstein is right, and you also believe that uh, Stephen Hawking was right, and he says energy can't die, it can only change forms. Einstein said the same thing. So what happens? We are embodied in a, in a physical being right now. What happens when we pass away? You say some of these old-timers like me are dying. Well, yeah, they are. But they're not really dying. They're just passing on to another form. So they go into another dimension. If you're a religious person, you're going to call that heaven. But if you're a physicist, you're going to call it another dimension. In fact, Tesla says something about that. Dig that statement out if you want me to.
0: Well, yeah, I, um, I forget who said it, but somebody along the line said that the universe is not only stranger than you think, it's stranger than you can think. I like that, Cliff. I really like that. That's good yeah, That's it, It's out there. Um, it's been attributed to a few other people and a few other wordings, but that's the gist of it. Um, and I'm 100% on board with that, of course. Um, it, it's, it's hubris. It's, it's the epitome of arrogance to think that we know everything. You know, and just Bigfoot is one little slice of that pie. There's all sorts of weird stuff going on, which is one of the things I do appreciate about your newest book, um, the Quantum Bigfoot, which I sell in my shop here, by the way, Ron. It's a pretty decent oh, seller. You. Yeah, Um uh, you got a batch for me; I can get them to you. better. Actually, I'll talk to you about I'll talk to you about that after the show, because I don't have your first book, in here, and I'd like to get the first book for our library in here too. But um, you address a lot of different theories, and you don't necessarily. I don't. I don't feel, at least through reading through it, that you're married to any of them. But you're just addressing like, well, this is here and this could is a possibility. This is here. This is a possibility. I think this is what's going on. You don't come down like this is it. Go ahead and challenge me, you jerks. You know, it's not like that. It's like this is what I'm thinking at this point. And although things change. I mean, throughout your long career in the subject, your, your, I imagine your viewpoint has changed dramatically.
1: Oh yes, I think everybody does. There's a statement I use: "If you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot." So I like to stay green until I'm <laughs> not here anymore. Just keep learning, because that's what it's all about: is trying to see we're all a vibration according to physics. Energy vibrating at different frequencies. So if you can raise that frequency, the higher you can raise it, the better you're going to be. That's my take on it, anyway. Uh, let me get this one, Edgar Mitchell Here, I like this one again. There's no unnatural or supernatural phenomenon. This is Dr. Edgar Mitchell says it. Only large gaps in our knowledge of what is natural. We should strive to fill those gaps of ignorance. Anybody else like that?
0: I like that. Yeah. It's only from a position um, where you acknowledge that you don't know, are you even able to learn anything? Very good. Yeah. It's, it's these people. are I know this, I know that this, whatever say so, nobody knows squat, man. And, and certainly nobody knows Squatch. So, you know, why not start from that position? You know, people say today, literally today, this morning, this gentleman, um, from up in battleground, Washington brought in a footprint cast to me. And, um, he goes, look at this. And I was, I said, well, this is my interpretation. It wasn't a very good, or um, it wasn't very clear footprint and cast. He goes, well, you know, I wanted to bring it to, to an expert to see what they said. And I kind of, you know, chuckled lightly to myself, and I, and I told him, say, so like, dude, um, I'm not a Bigfoot expert, though I play one on TV. You know, because at the end of the day, I'm a learner just like everybody else is. We don't know very much, you know. Uh, Bobo's not an expert. I'm, 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 I think it's safe to say Ron's not an expert. We're all just learners on our own journey trying to figure out what model works well for us.
1: I like that. We are. I'm not an expert. In fact, I come down on it because who's an expert? An expert is supposed to know a lot about a certain subject. We know more than most, but it's not a lot. There's so much more to learn. Uh, yeah, Edgar Mitchell said something else here he says it takes classical and quantum sciences together to have clear perception. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you using a binocular with only one of the two tubes, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as I was mentioning earlier, classical science, uh, as we uh, mainstream science is all based on material physical measurable predictable quantum science is unpredictable and and i think there's a there's a gap that we have to fill there we have to bring people in to understand there's more going on than what you can see just as when we mentioned inference sound and ultrasound earlier you don't hear it but that doesn't mean it's not there well there's things you don't see but that doesn't mean they're not there uh they are there are things there <laughs> that we just don't see with in our spectrum of visu- visual uh frequency so we're, we're outside. We can only see what we can see. You know? And we can only, some people can only know or believe in what they can see. And that's too bad because you got to believe sometimes in things you can't see.
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
2: Have you seen the reports from the Melba, Melba D, DNA study? Uh, like? They say they had four outside labs verify the DNA. Have you seen those supposed reports?
1: I've not reviewed them, no. I, I understand. I've heard them, and I know people that's been involved in it more than I was. I, I have not gotten involved in it other than I know in how she got foo food for the scientific community because it didn't fall within the parameters of their disciplinary upbringing. So No, I have not seen them, so that's, that's answered your question. Uh, I don't disbelieve it because I wasn't involved in it.
0: Fair enough. So, Ron, you're, you used to live in California, um, down in the foothills of the Sierras. And I imagine the Sierras were your main stomping ground for Bigfoot stuff now. But now you live up in Washington. Um, what have you been doing, or have you been doing anything out in the woods lately? Are you interviewing witnesses? Uh, like, how, Where has your path taken you? My path has taken me more into what I'm doing right now with
1: you guys. I, I'm on these real, quite regularly. I'm in the MUFON group, the UFO, uh, and uh, I'm also into a lot of the Bigfoot things. So I get interviewed quite a bit all over the United States. But I I just got through filming, too. We're trying to do a documentary on what what I've come up with and how this kind of comes together for me while I'm still vertical. And uh, I don't get out in the woods as much as I used to. I'm part of the Olympic project. I go out there to their meetings. When they start having them again, I'll go. But uh, that's here on the Olympic Peninsula with uh, Derek Randalls and his group. And I think you guys are going to have Dave Ellis on there. He's, he's part of the group, too. He's a nice guy, really nice guy. The people who, who send me these things, they want me to hear. it's like, you get clicked. I want you to verify this is really a Bigfoot tracker. And you're not an expert, you know. Give it to Mildred or something. But what I do is I, I screen them for Scott Nelson. And if they're not a morphine stream of words like he needs, he needs a language. He's a language expert. And he is a language expert. And it t- that's an art form. And if it's just a howl or a scream or some mumbling, I, I, I ask Dave Ellis to check it out and he'll get the frequency and see if it matches any known frequency of howls or an owl or a fox or wakati or whatever and let the person know. So he'd be, be a good person for you to have on.
0: You mentioned that you're a member of MUFON. Um, have you seen a UFO?
1: Well, I think I did. I mean, it's just unidentified. We've seen uh, Bill and I, my friend up in one of when we was up at the camp, we uh, saw this big blue ball slowly coming down uh, from the sky and it was huge. It was big and uh, it did, we lost it behind the trees. So it wasn't that far away from us, but it, well, I say it wasn't, it was quite a ways away from us, but maybe a mile or two. And uh, so I think that was a UFO It was unidentified. That's for sure. And it wasn't anything I'd ever seen before. So whatever it was, it was a uh, controlled. It's like, well, what, my wife and I saw in 2016 up there, whatever it was, it was control. It was a bolt of light. I say bolt. It was more like a, a lifesaver. I got referred refer to it in the Pilates film. They did a really nice recreation of it in that 411 thing that I was involved in. But it comes floating by our tent. And uh, we are at this year camp. The shelter's been taken down. It was taken down in 2015. It was too dilapidated. But this thing just comes floating by in between the trees, about four foot off the ground, <laughs> and it didn't surprise me. Nothing surprises me anymore. I got to tell you. But we watched it. I wasn't too sure what was going to happen if it was going to come in and take her, or what it was trying to do, or what it was all about. Don't know. It just comes floating by us. And uh, what do you do with something like that? I mean, where do you put it? You just put it in your notes. I mean, what yeah. else is there to do with it, right? <laughs> right. I was going to say, your brain has a way of confabulating things and filling the holes, so you got to be careful just to make notes of everything that happens, because if you don't, and don't record it somehow, you'll
0: think of it differently later on. Well, yeah, and you know, the, I, in my opinion, which, you know, take it for what it's worth, one of the biggest problems, especially in Bigfooting, is that the people who are experiencing or observing these things don't really understand the difference between observation and interpretation. Um, the, the, observation is I saw a blue light and it was this high above the ground is moving this fast. It was this time of day or night or whatever. And, you know, interpretation, I saw the spirit of a juvenile Sasquatch moving along out of curiosity and, you know, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And it, this, I find I find it aggravating um, that a lot of times the Bigfooters that I speak to don't understand the difference and don't uh, differentiate between the two because um, observations are interesting. Interpretations are filtered heavily through cultural filters and you know, cultures, culture isn't exactly your friend. It kind of tells you how to act and what to do and stuff. And nobody likes that.
1: That's so true. It's called confabulation. Your brain only can assimilate what it has been taught, what it knows. And if something else strange comes along, uh, it has to fill in those holes with something that makes sense to it. That's what you're saying, I think. And,
2: and you guys had some other weird stuff happen up there, like like the Geiger counter sounds and that sort of stuff?
1: I got a whole bunch of stuff, but I don't know how, how far you want to go with this. But, uh, yeah, we were inside the shelter. Lewis, uh, Warren, Lewis uh, Johnson and Bill McDowell and myself were inside the shelter, and we heard this clicking sound out by our stove. And the stove probably 30 feet away from the shelter door. And uh, it was was, uh, interesting because it's all like Cassinet's, I think, is the way I explain it in my book. But you start coming closer to the shelter, and all of a sudden, the shelter door is closed, but it's inside the shelter. This clicking noise right above us. And we turn our lights on, nothing's there. It stops immediately. As soon as you click the lights off, it starts up again. And that's that's it. (laughs) However, 100 miles away down in my home in the valley of California, down there where I lived, I was out irrigating the daytime. I heard the same clicking sound following me. And, uh, what do you do with that? I'm looking around saying something on me could be making that. No. What do you do? <laughs> you don't see what's making the sound. You don't see the source of a lot of this stuff, but that's where I get right into our ability to not see everything. That's why I don't foo-foo these people like I used to that say they saw one disappear. Too many people are saying that now. They, they, they call it cloaking. Uh, I don't disbelieve it, but I, I certainly don't, uh, Proof poof it, because it's just we don't see everything that exists. They, somehow, I think they've been able to manipulate their their matter into into something we can't see, into another frequency of some type, and then we just don't see in that in that parameter of sight.
0: What you're really doing is you're um, you're asking questions, which is the first step to any good inquiry. You have to ask questions, and then you have to figure, okay, well, here's a question. What might be a good answer to that? And let's see if the evidence supports that answer. It's the scientific process is what you're doing, um, exploring possible ideas so you can formulate a model about what you think. No model is right because models are encapsulated into words, and words can't encapsulate the universe, right? Reality can't be said very well. Um, it can't be Englished certainly. But uh, you're, you're doing what I think all good investigators should do, ask questions, and then postulate why. Like, why, could, why would this be true? Um, and I, I think every, everybody needs to do that and find the models that make sense to them. Thank you. That's a very good way to put it.
1: And yes, I do. I, I, I don't make statements very often because I don't know. I, I, I only know what I think I know.
0: <laughs> and I don't even know that much, man. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, and I'm the happiest guy I know.
1: <laughs> Here's my Tesla statement. I just found it. What one man calls God, another calls the laws of physics. And that's where I get in my book, too. I found this after I wrote the book. But it says uh, it's bringing science and spirituality together. Because you've got to have, as, as we mentioned earlier, what Mitchell said, quantum science and classical science together to have clear perception. You've got to include those in your research, I think. So that's why I don't foo-foo anybody that's in this field trying to find out more. As long as they're not making a statement, this is the way it's got to be. Like you're saying, there, Cliff. It just, it doesn't have to be that way. It might be their their reality, but that doesn't mean that's what it really is. We don't know.
0: So, Ron, I, you have two CDs with these sounds uh, available on them, um, and I and two books. Am I right? Two. That's correct. Not three. Okay. I was hoping there wasn't three because I'm only aware of two. Um, where, where can people find th- these things for themselves? If they want to hear these vocalizations from the early seventies and if they want to read more about your adventures and also your hypotheses about what's going on, what's the best way to get a hold of you or where can they find this merchandise?
1: Best way is my website, ronmoorhead.com. That's spelled with one O M O R E H E A D. And uh, that's the best way to see my products what i have i have two cds like you say they're both about 40 minutes long the first one's narrated by jonathan Frakes, star trek first generation next generation excuse me and that's actually Alberry's story it has more aggressive sounds on it the the other one i produced is my i narrated myself and it's about 40 minutes long also but i i've integrated the uh, wood knocks and the uh clacking sounds my interaction with them and things like that in the second cd they're both available on my website you can buy as a pair at a reduced price both my books are, one, The Voices of the Wilderness, it's my chronicle. I uh, wrote that in 2012, and uh, it's, it's what took me into this uh, into this, and all the things we ran across. The next one is The Quantum Bigfoot, and that's the most recent one. It gets into where this has taken me, actually, and as far as science goes, because Albury mentioned to me one time, whatever you do, stay with science if you can talk to people. So I've tried to stay with science. I have stayed with science as much as I can. I do get off a little bit and talk about my philosophy of it because I I was raised in a church as as a I know a lot of scriptures and stuff so that's that's helped me a lot in comparing in comparing quantum physics with uh, spirituality and uh, it, I think they're synonymous really
0: so there's where you go that's what I do fantastic, Ron. Hey, well, thank you very much for spending your time with us. I really appreciate it. And frankly, it's been too long since I've seen you anyway. That's the, you know, I don't mind not traveling around the country doing these speaking gigs, but the thing it takes away from me is getting to see my friends that I don't see very often. So it's good to spend a little bit of time with you just talking for a change. It's kind of nice.
1: It was nice. Thank you, Cliff. I appreciate that. we'll good talking to you too. All right. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Bobo. Bye.
0: That was a real honor to have Ron on there, Cliff. Great, great interview with him. Yeah, yeah, Ron is a great guest. And I wouldn't talk about just, you know, like I know Jonathan Frakes did the first CD, you know, the guy from Star Trek and stuff, but he doesn't need anybody else. Listen to that voice, smooth and silky and everything. Uh, and, well, you know, one of my greatest memories of Bigfooting period is um, being around a campfire with Ron Moorhead playing guitar, singing Elvis songs. That the guy's got the voice, he's got the knowledge, he's got the experience. And as he said, he's one of the old timers now in the Bigfoot field. I think he called himself a grayback. Um, he's one of those guys that he's one of our idols. I mean we grew up learning about Ron. And that's one of the neat things about Bigfooting, in my opinion, is that this is one of those fields that your idols can become your friends.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was 50 years ago next year when he got the first recordings.
0: That's insane. Yeah, I imagine for Ron it just feels like a few weeks or 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 long a long couple weeks anyway. Right. So um well all right Bubba why don't you take us out man? All right. Well cool clip. Well I'm looking forward to next week and I'll talk to you
2: then. All righty, bubs. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and keep it squatchy.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond. That's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag #BigfootAndBeyond.